Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your name, Father. Praise your name, Father. <clears throat> Praise your name, Father. Praise your name, Father. Italoro bukura tatatabaya. Ye kie bukusi kie kaloroto botete. servant of Elijah says to his master look at all these soldiers and they're all here camping around this city to take you they're all here to capture you oh master what are we going to do 
And Elijah didn't respond directly to the servant. He just looked up to heaven and said, Father, just open his eyes and let him see. Because while the servant could only see naturally, the dilemma was really bad for them. They weren't going to just take his master. He's the servant. They're going to take him too. But when the Lord opened his eyes, all the hills surrounding the city and therefore surrounding the army was full of angels and chariots of fire. The supernatural which is God. God is a spirit. He fills all space. He's everywhere. Is a is a homogeneous environment. There are no gaps in God. There's no place that you can go that God isn't there. There's you can't it's not like one of those, I was born in Florida, even though I didn't live, I haven't lived that much time there, but it's, not, it's like one of those southern thunderstorms that it can be raining right here and you move a couple of feet away and it's as dry as a bone. God's not like that. He is a spirit. He fills all space. The kingdom of darkness is made up of finite beings. The devil is and his fallen troops are made up of individual finite beings and they are limited. They are not infinite in number. In fact, uh, I may talk about this this afternoon as the Lord leads, but they... Even the full third that fell from heaven are not, were not loosed on the earth. There is a significant portion, and I'm not, I don't know how many, the answer may be in the Bible, but I don't know where it is. There's a significant portion of them who went straight from heaven into chains of darkness. They're not, it's not a future tense, they, will be bound in chains of darkness. They are presently, now, bound in chains of darkness. In fact, it appears as though that's the locust-type spirits that will be loosed out of the bottomless pit as one of the plagues during the seven years of the time of Jacob's trouble or Daniel's 70th week, not the misnamed Great Tribulation. There's no place in the Bible that names those seven years the Great Tribulation. It's not in there. All you have to do is look and you'll find out it's not in there. So the biblical terms for that 70, that seven years is Daniel's 70th week or the time of Jacob's trouble. And so that's going to be one of those things that happens but currently now, we, we are not faced with 
the full complement of the one-third of the angels that fell. So that means there can't be a demon everywhere. One of the major, major mistakes that people have made in my lifetime, I've in talking to pre- people and listening to preachers, is we we at least, if we don't directly state, we connotate that Satan is somehow the equal opposite of God, and that he that his e- evil is as omnipresent as God is. Uh, which, of course, he loves because anytime we make him equal to God, he loves it. But he is not equal to God. He is not omnipresent. There is only one being, Lucifer. And everything else is lower than him. And he can't be every place simultaneously. And he doesn't have enough forces to be everywhere simultaneously. Now, since he is military in mindset, he understands that you attack or defend those situations that are the most strategic for you. So that means, I don't mean this negatively, I'm just saying a lot of times it has to do with location and whatever limited amount of understanding or discernment he has of God's plan, he, uh, that, that, that means not every church is going through the same battle. Not every church is going through the same struggle. Doesn't mean some are more important or less important. God loves everybody the same. But strategically... That's not the case. I mean, we are 30 miles from Washington, D.C. Our influence in the world is built currently on a house of cards, but we are still perceived to be a world power. And so... The demonic activity in the city of Washington, D.C. is (laughs) major in its significance. But (laughs) Satan, the angels, none of the angels have God in them. They are made of God's substance. They are spirit beings. We are made lower than the angels. And the the thing that switches the balance far beyond just tipping the balance it just takes the scales and slams them down. It changes the balance so much. Is when this being made lower than the angels now has the divine nature resident and dwelling in that being. 
that takes us from lower than the angels to greater in the sense that he that is in us is greater than even the one most senior opposition enemy in the world. So I was discussing this the other day with some guys. The the bow of a ship is designed like that not for aesthetic reasons. You do not weigh a ship by the actual weight of the materials that was used to build it or by the amount of cargo or laden or people in it. A ship is weighed by the amount of water it displaces when you put it in the water. That's why the calculation is of a ship's displacement. How much water has to be moved aside to fit this airtight uh, box container in the water? Because water is not, it's a liquid, but it's, it's homogeneous in its environment. And so for something to take, to, to have, find space in that homogeneous environment, water has to be moved aside for that vessel to fit in the water. And, and, and I'm not, I'm trying to get you to let the Holy Ghost give you this picture. Okay. Whenever a Holy Ghost filled person enters the room, it doesn't even matter if they're consciously aware of it. It doesn't matter at all whether they are deliberately doing it. You cannot enter a room without displacing things. Things have to be moved aside to provide space for you. And of course not you, you're just the vessel. It's the air in the vessel... That keeps the water out because it's airtight. That's what keeps the water out, air in the vessel, and that's what forces the displacement. So it's not us, the vessel, but it's the one in the vessel that forces a displacement just when I walk from point the point. Because you see, if a ship is sitting dead in the water, it's not moving, it's displacing the water where it is. But all the water around it can stay where it is because it's not moving. So for a ship to go forward or to be underway, not W-A-Y, but W-E-I-G-H, Anchors away, go get underway to move. The water in the direction that I'm going has to be moved aside 
to make room for the ship. And then the water that's being displaced in the front moves to the sides, and the what's on the side is forced to fill the space behind the moving vessel. That's why if you're standing on the fantail and you're looking at the water, there's so much turbulence. It's not caused specifically by the props because even a sailboat has turbulence out the back of it. What is that turbulence? That's the water filling in the hole. And so the bow is designed to make way for the ship to move. Because the ship can't go from this point to this point without moving all the water from point A to point B. And we're just trying to have good church. We're just trying to sing songs where people feel good and preach messages that people will pat us on the back for. Because we are clueless for the most part. Demon spirits work similar to that. Two people that aren't married don't hook up because of looks, clothing style, etc. You can have a man sitting in a bar stool with his back to the door. And when the spirit that is seeking his and that he's seeking walks in the back door, he will immediately know it. He doesn't understand why he knows it. He knows it. So he turns and starts looking for her. They make eye contact. That eye contact only acknowledges the connection that's already been made. Neither one are at all aware that they are not in control of anything. They are simply puppets of two spirits that are seeking each other out. They are stupid pawns in a game that they're taking all the credit for. Ignorantly. But two Holy Ghost filled people can walk in a room together. Whether you know it on a conscious level or not, your spirit is bearing witness with you that there's somebody else in this room that I have a connection with. So the connection is not natural. It's supernatural. This is the environment we live in. In him we live and move and have our being. But the problem is, like the Athenians, we often just ignorantly worship him. Oh, we know his name. Yeah. That is to take away our ignorance. Who is he? What is he? And God is so wise. He's chosen the weak things to confound the mighty. He's chosen the foolish things or those things that appear foolish to confound the the, uh, wise. So, last night, 
the first group that comes, I mean, I, I didn't give a signal. If you were paying attention either as a part of that group or sitting in the audience, almost without anybody else in the group knowing it was happening, everybody began to respond to a swell, a rising of the Spirit. And I started to say, wait, wait, I haven't given the signal yet. And the Lord said, leave it alone, I'm doing this. And it, ro- it just rose up. This one over here didn't know that was happening to this one over here. They didn't know what's happened to this one here. But it was just, it was like, it was like standing, <clears throat> it was like standing next to a pier and watching the water level rise because it just rose up. The tide was coming. It just, whoa. And then, if that wasn't your first clue, you begin to sense that when that rose up and it was yielded to, there was a projection of authority in a realm that we cannot see. Because even we good old Pentecostals only believe what we see. And we don't believe most of that. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to help us. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them, the lost in whom the God of this world, the blind of the minds of them, to believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. I wish it was just the lost who were blind. I wish it was just the lost who were captives. But the church has a huge percentage, far, far more than a majority, of the laborers that are supposed to be in the field that are spiritually blinded by the spirit of religious tradition and are captives. And in this prisoner of war camp, we're very content just to eat our meals supplied by the enemy and wear clothes he supplied and be under his protection we're not fighting him. and He's taking care of us. And we call that God. You want to find out if it's God? Just try to escape. Hear all the alarms and signals that go off and the spotlights begin to look for you. And that hear the yapping of the spiritual dogs trying to find your scent to catch you before you get out. Because if one person escapes, then everybody else will begin to get the idea, hey, we don't have to stay here. And the, and the enemy fears nothing more than that. That people figure out, we don't have to be here. We don't have to put up with this. We don't have to operate within the confines dictated by the adversary. We have a God who's boundless. He lives in us. And we're, what, the one inside of us is connected and homogeneous with the one outside of us. And so it, the Holy Ghost is my connector to the rest of the infinite God through the Logos, of course. And that 
whatever. But so I have this connection with God. One of my last visits with Brother, Brother Barnes, and I didn't get to see him very often, but you just never forget stuff he puts in your head, or the Spirit did. He sat behind in his office an old desk with a Formica top, sitting in an old vinyl-covered office chair that probably 99% of the preachers in our organization, our fellowship, would do everything in their power to get rid of both of those. And I'm not going to try to imitate his voice, but he basically said, these fellows running riding all over the world trying to affect the world. He said, I affect the world more sitting right here in this old chair every day than they do in all their trips. And you could go, wow, what ego. Or you could go, here's a man that understands that the one in him is connected to the one everywhere. And he can speak and pray right here. And it's what the, the rhema spoken here. He sent his word and healed them. And he understood he could sit right there and speak the rhema. And it would affect wherever the target was. Talk about ICBM missiles. They have nothing on a rhema spoken by a man that understands the process. Well, that was Brother Barnes and I, me, and so that can only happen to him. <laughs> you know, just Peter, he's the only one that could be used. And, and Elijah, he was just such a great man of God and whatever. And so we find another area that we don't believe the Scripture because... The Bible says of Elijah, he was a man subject to like passions we are. And Peter in one particular place said, hey, wait, 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 I'm just a man. When Cornelius was going to get down and worship him, he said, no, no, I'm a man. Just like you, I'm a man. And then Paul and Barnabas had to stop these people from going down and worship them. We're just men. We're just men. They rent their garments. We're just men. Don't worship us. We're just men. And David, the man after God's own heart, proved he was just a man. And Moses infuriated God, whether you know it or not. But just read the conversation at the burning bush. I'm going to give you a word and you're going to go deliver it. And Moses said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't speak well. And I can't do that. And God said, I'm going to be with your mouth. No, 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 God, I can't do that. I'm just, I'm just a man. I can't do this. And God says, really? So I got to, here I am speaking to you out of a burning bush that's not being consumed. And you honestly don't believe that I'm capable of putting words in your mouth and enabling you to say them. <laughs> you throw a rod down and turn into a stick, you picked it up. It's now a stick again. You turn a rod and then turn it a snake. You pick it up, it's a stick again. Now you talk about faith. 
It's one thing to throw it down. It's another thing to pick it back up. He puts his hand in his bosom, comes out leprous, puts it back, it's clean. And he can't believe that God could put words in his mouth. And the Lord said to Moses, how about your brother Aaron's on the way to meet you? I know he can speak well. That was God's kind of little dig. You can't talk, but Aaron can talk. And, and, and what followed after that is one of the most amazing things in all the Bible. Those that don't believe or don't understand how God ministers through people. The Lord tells us right there. He says, Moses, I will give you words to say. I will be the source of the words. And you will be to Aaron for God. You'll be Aaron's God. Not deity-wise, but as the one who is the source of what to say. Lord, I, I just, I can't trust that if I get up there, I can't trust you enough that if I get up there, you're not going to give me stuff to say. So I, I got I to gotta work around you, God, by writing it all down so that I, I don't embarrass myself. Moses, you're going to be to him a God. And this is, where, this is the only way in which you're going to be as God. You're going to give him what to say. And then he's going to go say what you said. The God's principle of ministry right there. In everything. What to pray, what to say, what to... Everything. Everything. Who tells me what to say, what to do? Is the one who's God. And if my intellect is telling me what to do and what to say, that's my God. And he said, I'm the Lord. And my glory I will not give to another. We have the most educated ministry as a whole than has ever been in the entire history of the United Pentecostal Church. And those educated ministers are having the most difficult time dying to that education and trusting Jesus. I was in a man's church this year. There was a civil engineering degree on the wall. It was in another man's church. He had a, a joint major degree in communications and uh, marketing. It was on the wall. Another man's got a chemical engineering degree on the wall. And every one of those guys, 
brilliant guys. Love God the best they know how. And all of them are having some success. Success. And they're being used. And people know their name and, and all of that. And I said to one of them, it was after church, and I, I saw all the stuff that was going on, and I said, uh, you really do love the lost, don't you? Yeah. You really do have a passion for the lost, don't you? Yeah. You really have a burden for the lost, don't you? Yeah. I said, you really got a vision for reaching the lost, don't you? Yeah. See, he didn't know me very well. If he would have known me well, he'd know I just set him up. And I looked at him and said, he's driving. We almost had a wreck. I said, and that's the problem. It's your love for the lost. It's your burden. It's your passion. It's your vision. And none of it's God's. You're loving the lost with human emotion. Your passion to reach the lost is human emotion and determination. Your vision, while it may have biblical elements, is a vision out of your own intellect. And the power to produce all of this is flesh with some Holy Ghost sprinkled in. And I said, let me tell you what's happening. There are days you can't hardly get out of bed. His eyes got big. He said, last Tuesday, I just didn't want to get up. I said, yeah, I know. You see, I've lived all that. I've lived every bit of that. And I said, <laughs> and there are days you say out loud to yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing to myself? I mean, he's pastoring the main church. He's got, he's got six daughter works. Or he's pastoring the main church. And he's got pastors for four of the others. But the other two, he's the guy preaching to them. He's coming and going. I mean, he's like, he's doing all this. Then he's traveling and preaching. And he, the guys, he's an awesome guy. He's an awesome, awesome guy. If he would just die, what God would do would be amazing. It's impressive now, but it would be amazing. There were days I just, I just, just go 10 million directions all at once trying to juggle all this stuff and do all. And, and if I'm doing one thing, I'm feeling guilty because I'm not doing this. And if I'm doing this, I'm guilty for not. If I'm if I'm traveling, I feel guilty because I'm not home. And if I'm home, I feel guilty because there's places I feel to go. And and if I'm doing all that, then I'm not giving my family enough time. And if I'm spending time with my family, I'm guilt, feeling guilty because I'm neglecting what God's want me to do. And and no matter where I was, I was always feeling bad about where I wasn't. How's that shoe fitting? Is that your size yet? 
So I lived under this, this turmoil. It was, it, it was worse than a tornado. At least it's organized. It all knows which direction it's going. But I was trying to go in all these different directions one time. And there were days in the midst of all of that turmoil, I'd just stop and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is lunacy. God that made this flesh and gave me only 24 hours in the day, He obviously is smart enough to know, I can't do all of this. He knows that, but I don't. And the problem is, I could do most of that good. But I couldn't do any of it well. And I said to him, the day you finally give up and say, I'm yours, God. I'll do each day what you tell me to do. Where where you're going, that's where I'm going. What you're doing, that's what I'm doing. What you're saying, that's what I'm saying. And that's it. I don't want to be on my feet when I can be in my recliner. I don't want to be in my recliner when I'm supposed to be on my feet. I don't want to be in my car when I can be in my bed. I don't want to be in my bed when I can when I'm supposed to be in my car. You know, People don't understand this. I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you how it is. When you give yourself to God, you don't make the decisions. No matter the pressure of expectations from other people on you, you don't do it. I don't care who you are, except maybe my wife. If you call me, I'm not guaranteeing I'm answering. You email me. I'm not guaranteeing I'm responding. If you've tried to contact me through Facebook, you're probably pretty frustrated. That's my pulpit. Just like up here, I'm not waiting for you to respond. We're not having a dialogue. I preach. You got questions, ask Jesus. And yet I've responded when I was directed to. And when, I, when my phone rings, you can believe what you want to believe. It doesn't matter to me whether you believe it or not. When my phone rings, I immediately check my spirit. And it's so automatic, I don't even realize I do it anymore. I immediately check my spirit to know whether or not I'm supposed to answer or not. You can live like you want to live. Living under expectations as a pastor. People would come to you needing help. And traditional expectations say, you do what you can to help them. You fix it. And so people would come and they'd have this need and I try to fix it. And then 
people would come, they need this amount of money, and we'd give it to them, and, 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 and all of this. And I noticed over time, the people I was doing all this for wasn't growing at all. And then over time, I realized the one you do the most for is the one that turn on you, and they're going to run you through quicker. Because the moment you don't do exactly what they're expecting you to do, they're going to turn on you. Because you've taught them to be their God. That you're their God. And when you let them down in the lease as God, they're going to take vengeance on you. So you text me, you may not get a response. And so these people were going like this. And, and I said, Lord, what's the problem? He said, I'm bringing things into their life to get attention so that they will humble themselves before me. And before I can use it, you fix it without even asking me if I want you to fix it. I never told you to do that. But Lord, I, I thought I was supposed to do that. And where did you get that thought? From the culture. Not from the Word of God or the Spirit of God. You know what he said to me? Well, Lord, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the servant here. He said, well, you can be their servant. Or you can be my servant, but you can't be both. You can serve people and their expectations. Or you can serve me and my expectations. But I'm not going to let you do both. I'm not letting you do both. You know the big difference between Saul and David? Saul ended up losing his kingship because he pleased people. The people. The people. He offered a sacrifice he had no right to offer because of the people. He spared sheep and a king because of the people. It didn't matter what God had said to him. He feared the people. And it cost him the kingdom. David, David's going to please God. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. Well, I don't like that. Sorry. How many times have you seen the phrase in the Bible, servant of God, servant of the Lord? You ever seen a scriptural uh, a phrase describing the ministry, servant of people? I realize some people don't understand this. And when people want what they want, they want it now. And they want you to do their bidding right now. You know what? You and Jesus are going to have to take that up. Because I'm not doing it. If he says it, you got everything I got. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. This is about as far as where I thought I was going to be this morning. As you possibly could imagine. But we're right where God's working. How many times did Jesus enter the temple in his lifetime? We have no way to know. Do you think that lame man at the gate, beautiful, just showed up that day that Peter prayed for him? Do you think that lame man 
showed up for the first time in his life at that gate that day. So what does that mean? How many times did Jesus walk by him and didn't heal him? Why? Because he was there for a purpose. He was born lame for the glory of God. Because there would be a day that God would say, Today's the day. Now's the time. But our pea brains, we go, God, if you're going to heal him anyway, why didn't you heal him all those years before so he could enjoy walking around like everybody else? Because it wasn't the time. Everything is fits into God's plan. And you want to mess it up? Try to do it when you think it ought to be done rather than in God's plan, and you're going to mess it up. I don't care how right it feels to you, how much your intellect and logic says now should be do it, and your compassion. Your, you know, I'm more compassionate than Jesus because I wanted to heal him before it was time. I'm more compassionate than Jesus because Jesus kept walking by him and didn't do anything about it. But me, I'm more compassionate than Jesus. Because if it was me, I'd have fixed him the first time I saw it. Though he were a son. Put that on the screen, please. Hebrews 5 and 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. The Lord showed me this just a couple of months ago. I'm sure some of you, or maybe all of you already saw it, but... I didn't. I've always struggled with this verse. Though he were son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. Does that mean he was disobedient? Well, disobedience is sin. And yet he was supposed to be sinless. So this verse can't be talking about disobedience as a sin. So what did he learn? He learned this. The son can do nothing of himself. What he sees the father do, he does. What he hears the Father say, he says. And he learned that by suffering. He was not disobedient because that would be sin. So what did he learn? He learned how to obey the Father and quit interjecting himself into what God was doing. I'm a vessel and a conduit. End of story. I don't initiate We don't initiate. We don't bind what we think ought to be bound. We don't lose what we think ought to be loosed. We bind what's already bound in heaven and we are the mouthpiece to speak it. We loose what's already been loose in heaven. We're the mouthpiece to speak it. So though he were a son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he... He what? Oh, that's right. We don't learn obedience because we keep praying the suffering away. Because that's what our culture says God came to do. Was to give us faith. To use prayer. To fix everything we don't like. To give us everything we want. To undo all of those things that we were uh, disappointed in. 
That's what God's for. God is here to fulfill my plan for me. That's what our culture teaches. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. Galatians chapter 5, verse, start with verse 16, please. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Next verse. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's. Does Christ belong to you or do you belong to Christ? They are Christ. And this is the criteria by which you, by which you judge who belongs to who. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Well, in the King James, that almost sounds redundant to me. Affections, lust, they're, isn't that kind of similar? But the Greek word there, in almost every other place, is translated sufferings. So, if we use the most common translation of the word, this is what it would say. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the sufferings and lust thereof. Well, I've got some idea how you deal with lust, right? You say no to it. No, that's what we do. But the Bible says the way you deal with lust is you walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But how do you crucify the flesh with the sufferings? You quit resisting and resenting the sufferings that the Father has brought into your life. You quit resisting and resenting because the Father is training a son how to hear, see, and obey. The Father is trying to teach us how to be a conduit. And He does that through our sufferings. But we come to church and pout because we're suffering. I I just don't feel like worshiping God tonight because I'm going through it. I asked God to take it away, but He's not taking it away. So I just don't have any energy to even get my hand up. Say, that's not very kind, Brother Wright. In all honesty, I'm not trying to be kind. Because that attitude and spirit is not one we should have compassion on. Because that attitude and spirit is not only putting a person on the road with a destination hell, 
But because they're not being the conduit that God's planned for them to be, they're also sending people to hell that they are supposed to be the one that God uses to reach. Because you see, this is the deal that you and I have got to get. It's Excuse me, I'm going to use my vernacular here, not the proper way. It ain't about you, baby. This is not about you. But we interpret everything in our egocentric world. Everything is about how it affects me and what it means to me. And how, what, what is this about me? It's me, 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 me. Because I'm the center of the universe. And God is the sun who, who revolves around the universe. And I let these other planets revolve around me because I'm the center of everything. And anything that doesn't help me or bless me or do for me, I don't have time or room for it. Because I'm the center. And I expect to be the center of God's world. And I'm the center of the church's world. And I should be the center of the preacher's world. When I snap my fingers, everybody ought to jump too. It's not about you. And you can't make spiritual decisions without it affecting, here we go again, I use terminology that's modern, okay? Without affecting everybody in your downline. My God, my God, my God, my God. And God is not a multi-level marketer. But in his plan, there are people down line from you that you are the key person that starts the chain of events that helps them get saved and stay saved. And when you make a selfish decision and you make selfish plans and you pout with God, you're not just affecting you and your eternity. You're affecting everybody in the downline in God's plan. If this is a member of the body and it doesn't want to be a part of the body anymore so it gets amputated by its choice or God's, it's not the only one amputated, my friend. Everything down line from that upper body is also amputated. It ain't about you. And if you've made it about you, you're living in the worst deception going. It's not about you. It's not about your comfort. I'm sorry to tell you this. This may come as a shock to you, and you may not like it, and you may not biblically agree with it. I'm ready for you when you want to talk about it. When you're ready to debate it, let's go at it. I love to debate. My flesh loves to debate. Not, not my spirit. God doesn't want me debating because it's not, he, he made it very clear to me. It's not my responsibility to convince. He is the convincer. But oh, if you want to go at it, I just, you know, I'll have to repent later, but we'll go at it. It's not about you. It's not about you. You can't be a part of the Lord Jesus Christ and His body, His kingdom, and it be about you.
The only people that think traveling is glamorous are those that don't do it. Yeah. You go someplace because God sent you, you got a service or two or three, and you can minister as long as they'll let you. The problem is when they quit before God does. And then he says, they don't realize how much more I've got for them, but that's all they want. And I'm not just spilling it out there in their resentment. Because what they want to do is more important to them than what I want to say. So just, it's my problem. Stop. Give it to me. They're going to answer for what I would have said to them. And so you go someplace and, you, and, you, and, and, and you're away from your family and away from what, away from your calling. This is my calling. The Lord told me decades ago, this is my calling. It would always be my calling that I would give my entire life here. And in one sense, 45 years is most of that, isn't it? This is my calling. Any place I go is in the will of God. It's not a calling. And in the will of God, I go there, do the will of God, and when I've completed the will of God, I'm out of there. Period. And so you go and you you, you got maybe a couple of hours at most total that you're actually going to be ministering to people, and, 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 and your carnal mind says to you, what possible good and impact on eternity can I have in this place on this shot where I don't know if I'll ever be back here again. In this, just this. And so, almost every trip, <laughs> I'm sitting in the airport, my wife dropped me off, I've gotten my last kiss. I'm already missing her. And I'm sitting in the airport. And in some form or other, this is one of my last prayers before I get on the plane. I just want to remind you, Lord, I'm getting on this plane for one reason and one reason only. You own me. You say, but I thought you loved me and you were my friend. I do love you and you are my friend. But you're not my God. And I'm not coming because I love you and you're my friend. I'm coming because my God sent me. That's the only reason. I'm not going because we're friends. I'm not going because I love you. I'm going because God sent me. Period. And when I'm done, I'm going home. My wife, we, we got a good mattress. It used to be. But when 200 and none of your business pounds lays on my side for almost 13 years now. You know the old song, In the Valley, He Restoreth My Soul? Well, I sleep in the valley every night. And I've been telling my wife, I said, you know, this, this mattress is, you know, and her side, it, it's light as she is compared to me. Her side's got kind of a little bit of a whatever. And, of course, it's a king-size bed. So if they hadn't... A, had some kind of frame that kind of divides the two sides, it would just be one big, it'd be a big valley, but it's not. It's two valleys, not of equal size. And she was changing sheets the other day, and I was sitting at my computer, it was just a few feet away. She said, come look at this mattress. 
And I'm thinking, finally, oh, God, thank you. So I woke up. She says, look at that. Look at it. I said, you think it might be time to get a new mattress? She said, do you think it would help if we turned it over? I said, well, you see the way it's constructed here. It's thick here, and it's, it's... but if you turn that over, we're sleeping on the thick part, and this thing don't work like that. In fact, when we bought it, the guy told us it wasn't designed to turn over. She said, what if we turn it around? Oh, so you want to sleep in the deep valley. Because after 47 years of marriage, we're not switching which sides of bed we sleep on. I sleep on this side, she sleeps on that side. I'm talking about looking at your feet, Right? That's my, this is my side. When I go into a hotel and I'm by myself, I never sleep on that side of the bed. That's not my side of the bed. I get it on my side of the bed. This is my side of the bed. It might be the most inconvenient side of the bed, but that's my side of the bed and I'm getting in my side of the bed. And in the valley, he restores my soul. It may be my valley bed, but it's my bed. And I'm never out of my bed because I want to be out of my bed. Well, don't you like to take vacations? Vacation to me is get to stay home. The Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you a vacation. You don't have to go anywhere for a week. Wow. Vacation to me is just sleeping in my bed. That doesn't mean I don't have stuff to do here. But it's, this is my calling. This isn't work. This is my calling. So you, you take a step. Everything moves. You take a step. Everything moves. You take a step. Everything moves. Because if you've got the Holy Ghost in you, all of the infinite God that can fit in a finite being, I have that. You have that. So when you move, everything moves. But I'm not aware of that when I'm focused on me. I can only sense that when my focus is outside of me. What's really sad is when you sense that you're sent someplace. You, you know, anytime you preach, sitting here right now, every word I've said since this meeting starting or will be said will be a savor of life unto some and a savor of death unto others. It doesn't matter how I say it, mean or nice. It doesn't matter whether I'm whispering or screaming. Some, their heart is such that they will hear it and it will bring life to them. And some, their hearts are hardened. And those words will create a strengthening of their resolve. I'm doing it my way. And so the same ministry is going to bring some closer to Jesus and drive some farther away. And there's nothing I can do to that. But then there's a time you're sent you walk in and you feel all this stuff going on and you go. 
Oh, God, you're really not going to do this to me, are you? You do what I say, what I've told you to do. And you get up and you speak words that become evidence. And you know that group of people is going to answer in the judgment for the words that you were told to say and that they refused to receive. And God will replay the word for them in the judgment as evidence. Jeremiah knew. He knew. Jeremiah knew. And he felt the consequences of it. That he would say things that would only provoke Israel to move farther away from God. Because God in his mercy sent mercy before judgment and they didn't recognize the mercy and they didn't respond to the mercy and it became the evidence that justified a just God sending armies to destroy Israel and take them captive. So that in the judgment... No voice of accusation can be raised against God because he sent mercy. He sent mercy. Maybe it's not the mercy they wanted. Maybe they wanted the mercy of someone coming and lying to them and telling them everything's okay. It is absolutely exciting working for Jesus, for being his conduit. It's really exciting because when he knows he's going to have you do stuff that your humanity would be reluctant to do, he just lets you spend your time studying this and enjoying all the good stuff he's given you. And then he says, now... This is what I want to say, and you're going to say this. What about this? Did you enjoy that? It was good stuff, wasn't it? Say this. But, but, but what about the hours and hours and hours and hours I spent studying that and making those notes and getting them right, even though I knew you weren't going to let me use them exactly like that. I just at least thought I could feel better that at least what I'm talking about is kind of in the notes. No, no, no. Jeremiah 23, start with maybe verse 14. This is... These are some scripture that I try to avoid as much as possible because they absolutely uh, 
renew the target. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Next verse. Next verse. Thank you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall for from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Next verse. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. When you sit and listen to preaching that is not the utterance of God, it, it does not leave you unaffected. When a person called of God stands before you and speak, speaks words out of their own heart, out of their own mind, they do not leave you unaffected. They make you vain, empty, worthless, useless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Next verse. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, Ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come unto you. Because they're speaking out of their heart, they confirm that those who are walking after the imagination of their heart that they're doing right. Next verse. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Next verse. For behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in fury. Even a grievous whirlwind, it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. What wicked? Those that presume to speak and call it God. When it's not. It is the sin of presumptuousness. Next verse. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart in the, when? In the latter days, ye shall consider it with clear understanding. Next verse. I have not 
sent these prophets. Yet they ran. And if you study the New Testament at all, you understand that nobody sends themselves. If you go without being sent, you go to your own peril. And sending is supernatural. And it's authoritative. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if, we're having a church, really, what's happening? Oh, people are shouting and dancing, really, what's happening? Oh, we just had, everybody left feeling good, really, what's happening? Because if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have, should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. You know, I've been busy and I just, I haven't had a chance to study and I, I, I I need something to preach. I'm supposed to preach tonight, so I I got to come up with something here. I, I got I got to have something. I I'm getting paid to do this. This is my job, God. Uh, you got to give me something to say. Something, you know, that's, that's our prayer. See, give me something to say. And and, and what are we saying, Lord? Because I I I don't want to be embarrassed. So give me something to say. Because I don't have anything. So let's see. Flipping through the old notes. How long has it been since I preached that one? That's just pretty good. It was the word of God for one time. But it may not be the word of God for now. God might have used that word one time because it was his word. But if it's not his word for now, you're on your own, baby. You're on your own. And if you learn how to do that on your own, God help you and God help those that will listen to you because everybody is going to be affected by that. Brother Wright, you're not being very fair. This is not fair. That's not kind. It's not being fair, Brother Wright. It's not being fair. Disciples walked away. Jesus taught a couple of things. And it wasn't just the Jews, the crowd that left. A bunch of his disciples left. His disciples. And he turns to the main core and says... Are you leaving too? And Peter says, To whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. We can go other places and hear preaching, but we've learned to trust 
that if we submit ourselves to the ministry here, we can count on the fact you're going to speak to us, Rama, and Rama gives life. Because if it's not Rama, if Rama gives life, then what does not Rama give? Death. Are we gonna get that or not? Rama brings life. Not Rama brings, brother, I, you know, I, you know, I've been to school, I got a degree, they taught me how to preach, but, I, I, I don't know. I could do what you're talking about. I know, I know. You gotta die out to all that stuff. Because if they teach you how to preach without first teaching you how to hear from God, I don't care who it is, who, who's over the school, who's promoting the school. If they teach you how to preach before they teach you how to hear from God, they are out of the will of God. Don't you think we ought to study? Yeah. Not study to preach. Study to know. Study to grow. Study to mature. Study to understand. And if you put enough stuff in here, you'll never be without the ability of the Spirit of God to quicken that and speak. Never. You won't be without it. It's not a strain. It's a struggle. It's a sensitivity. You listen to. You're sensitive to what God said. Yes, I understand. Been there. When you didn't have enough stuff in here. And so, yeah, at, boy, it's panic time isn't it, now. But it's not panic time to find something to preach. It's panic time to say, okay, Lord, I'm committed to you. And I'm not, it it would be better to get up in the service and say, folks, I love you, but I love God more. And he has not given me anything to say, and I don't have direction. So we're going to pray. It's time to dismiss. It would be better to do that than get up and wing it. They will have more respect for you. Because you know the problem with people becoming spiritually sensitive They know when you got it. I wonder if that's why most guys don't teach their people how to be spiritually sensitive. Because they can't fake it otherwise. Because when you've you've taught and preached and trained people to be spiritually sensitive, you better know that the guy getting in the pulpit knows how to hear from God. Because otherwise, they're going to sit on him and stare at him. And it's embarrassing sometimes. I'm not embarrassing when they do that. I'm embarrassed for the guys up there trying to pass that drivel off as the word of God. I don't care how eloquent it is. There's a guy, a friend of mine. I love him. Not sure how he feels about me right now, but that's his problem. I love him. He was here preaching. He has said he's a prophet. And most people probably would agree with that. 
He kind of thinks he may be an apostle. I don't know. I don't think people determine that. I think uh, the individual determines that. I think God and the people determine. They recognize the office of an apostle there. But so whatever. So he, you know, he was here preaching. I mean, he gives words to all these people and he prophesies to people, whatever. He gets up and pulls out his notes and starts reading. I'm thinking, you, you're a prophet of God and you're reading this script. So the service was with him. We got to go back to the hotel. And the Lord said, really, you want me to say that to him? I mean, he's famous. He's famous. He's seen thousands and thousands receive the Holy Ghost. You want me to say that to him? He said, if you're not going to say it, who do you think he is? Okay. He's not going to like it. That's not, my, not your problem. So we pull up in front of the hotel before he got out. I said, hey man, let me, let me say something to you here. He said, now, I said, now, I believe you're a prophet of God. And you just prophesied to a bunch of people in this church. How am I, as oversight authority, supposed to have confidence in your prophecies to these people when you don't trust God and yourself enough to be able to preach the word without reading what you're saying? He got all flustered and upset. Well, but you don't understand. You, you're a pastor, or you're, you're, you, you've got a church, and, and you, you've got a steady income, and, and, and I'm, I, I'm out here evangelizing, and, and I got a family support in the places I preach. They have a certain level of expectation of, of what's going to happen in the pulpit, and so I, I, I have to give them what, what it is they're expecting, or I, I won't have any place to preach. I won't be able to support my family. I said, "Oh, so you have a life." in a ministry based on fear and the focus is on money. So you can't trust the Father if He sent you to pay you. Well, He didn't like that. I, I was trying to save His soul, not me. The Lord was. I said, you understand, I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't bother to say this because it'd be easier for me to get out of the car thinking it and never say it. It'd be fine. And, and, and you'd think I'd think you was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and, and you would never know that I'm questioning my confidence in you. But you're asking me to have confidence that you can hear from God to prophesy to individual peoples that I'm one of the ones that's accountable to God for them, and you can't trust him to tell you what to say in this pulpit. Love you, man. God bless you. Go get some rest. Some of you would kind of thinking, who do you think you are saying something like that to somebody? I know who I am. I'm a conduit. That's who I am. 
You want to put any other label on it? That's between you and Jesus. But I'm a conduit. Period. That's my responsibility. That's my calling. That's my goal. I'm a conduit. And I, a conduit doesn't have a right to tell the source what's going to flow, who it's going to flow to, what it's going to sound like, how they're going to react to it. Conduit had to have that right. Conduit doesn't have that right. Huh. Hold there. Just keep that in mind. Well, I'll just quote it. First Corinthians. One, I think it's 29, isn't it? No flesh shall glory in his presence. What does that mean? Well, the root word glory is opinion. And it can be, in regards to man, translated boast. So what is a person attempting to do by boasting? I'm boasting for the purpose of attempting to alter your opinion of me. Well, what does it mean for us to glory in his presence? When I use consciously and hopefully not subconsciously, but possible. When I use what God is doing or saying through me in any way to alter your opinion of me rather than being a conduit to alter your opinion of God, I've just touched the glory. And if I refuse to do what God is saying to me to say because it would affect people's opinion of me to the negative, I just gloried in his presence. If I'm sitting here and the Spirit of the Lord says, run... And I say no because I don't want people to think I am weird. I just gloried in his presence. If I, if I jump up and run and I'm thinking everybody's going to think I'm spiritual now, I just gloried in his presence. When I sing and I'm thinking everybody's going to believe I've got a great voice, I'm glorying in his presence. I wonder how many are listening to me to play this instrument. I'm glorying in his presence. When I'm dancing, if I, I wonder how many like my step. I'm glorying in his presence. I said it yesterday. I come to your place. And you discourage your leaders or your people, whether as a discipline or whatever, not to wear a ring. I'm taking mine off. I respect you. I'm in your house. I respect that. But if I go to a conference and I'm feeling uncomfortable and I slide this off and put it in my pocket because I don't want to be judged by people, I just gloried in his presence. Because when I do or not do for the purpose of affecting people's opinion of me, I'm glorying in his presence. But if they had stood, Jeremiah 23-22, but if, 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 if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, and the Hebrew word there, Brother Dobbs, is dalbar, which is the Hebrew equivalent of Logos or Rhema, 
because it can be used in both of those contexts in the Hebrew. In some contexts, it would be in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. In some cases, that word translates logos. In other places, it translates rhema, which is supernatural utterance. And it caused my people to hear my words. Then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. How do they turn them? By simply hearing what God says and speaking rhema. Rhema will turn people around. Any other method used to turn people around is of the flesh and not of God. And he doesn't honor it, take ownership of it, or bless it. And whatever seeming results that come from that which is spoken, which is not rhema, is a deception. Brother Wright, you, you, you just being a little bit overly focused here. Over, more focused than the word. I think I haven't even approached trying to be as straight as the words being here. Oh, it gets a little worse. Next verse. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Or let me paraphrase what the original is. Am I so far away? That you think I'm not concerned or interested or willing to participate? You're treating me like I'm a long way away and a disinterested party. So you're making up for my absence with your own intellect. Next verse. Can any hide himself in secret places that I not, I not, shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Next verse. I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. Next verse. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. And who's the most deceived? The one speaking. It takes a deceived person to be a deceiver. The most powerful deceiver there is, is the person that's most deceived by their own lie. Next verse. Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for But Brother Wright, that's not really the motive of the guy that gets up there and preaches. He's not trying to get people to forget his name. When I'm not speaking his word, and his word is exalted above his name. Doesn't the book say that? His word is exalted above his name. When I'm not speaking his word, I've just discredited his name. It doesn't matter what I think my motive is. When I'm not speaking his word, and his word is exalted above his name, I am discrediting his name. 
So whether I'm consciously or subconsciously considering that I am undermining his name in people's lives. That's what I'm doing. I had some people say to me, why don't you, why don't you consider taking call to war to a different location once in a while? You think I'd really go into somebody else's pulpit and talk like this? Because someplace else, I have to respect the covering of authority in that place, and I do. And God expects me to respect that covering of authority. But here, <laughs> sitting right there and right there and right there are three of the men that are on the board of trustees of this church, the external board of this church, and they are the people I'm submitted to. And that's why it's really critical for them to be here as much for you as for themselves if they want to be for themselves. It's because they're here representing my covering. And next week we're having our board of trustees meeting, and if they do their job and there's something happening here uncomfortable, they will challenge me on it next week, and I will submit to what they're challenging me on. Because you don't have authority unless you're under authority, and you're not under authority if there's no one that can tell you no in your life. If there's no one that has the authority to say to you, no, no, you can't do that. But I feel to do that. No. You can't do that. Well, God said, no. I've been a part of district boards and men come in and say, God has told me to go to such and such place. And we talk to them and they, we, they go out. We pray. We pray. And we, after prayer, we feel like, no, it, that's either not the fit or it's not time. The guy comes back in and says, we say to him, brother, we appreciate your interest, your burden. And, and we believe you believe you've heard from God. But for right now, as the authority in this structure over this this area, we do not feel like it is God's time for you to go do this. And some have said, well, God said for me to go and I'm going. Here's my card. I'm going. But I've said to him, hey. You came here and submitted to our authority. You didn't have to come here. If you really wanted to go on your own, you could have done that without coming and putting you and your, yourself and us through this. But you came here asking our permission. And now that we have not felt to give it, you're going to go where you want to go, do what you want to do? Before, you, you, you might have been guilty of just neglect or whatever, but now you're in open rebellion. By your own actions. You chose to come here. You chose to ask. You didn't come informing us. You came to ask for our permission. And if we feel you're not supposed to go, guess what? You have, you're totally clear with God. You acted on what He said. You came here and you asked us for permission. 
And what happens from this point on, you're no longer accountable for. We are accountable. And if we've missed God, then we're accountable for it. And it's on us. You're clear. God's going to give you credit just as if you went. Because you did all you could to go. But authority has said, you can't go. And now if you go, you're out of authority. So here I don't have to edit. Except by the Holy Ghost. And by the board of trustees. (laughs) Because I'm counting on them to help me stay saved. That's what a covering of authority does. It helps you stay saved. And any covering authority that always tells you what you want to hear is either not a a covering or it's not authority. Well, I don't want anybody running my life, including Jesus. Well, I listen to God. No, the principle is this. If you can't love your brother whom you have seen, you can't say you love God you haven't seen. If you can't submit to God's authority exercised through humans, then you're lying to yourself and everybody else if you say you're submitted to the authority of God direct without man being involved. Because God doesn't work that way. Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Next verse. The prophet that hath a dream, implying from me, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Because when I'm speaking words that are not from God, I'm sowing chaff. And I'm going to reap chaff. And the chaff are the ungodly. But when I'm speaking wheat, the rhema of God, I'm going to get a harvest. I'm going to get a crop. Because you're going to reap what you sow. You sowing chaff, you reaping chaff. You sowing wheat, you're reaping wheat. Next verse. It's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. When flesh tries to come against resistance, it's flesh. But when you walk in some place and you're feeling good and you got peace and you're not angry over anything, you're not frustrated at anything, and you walk up to the pulpit and open your mouth and all of a sudden it goes... <laughs> when it stops, you step back and say, boy, you had some things you want to say, don't you, Lord? Because it's not your feelings. It's not your words. It's not your feelings. I walked in this service Tuesday night. Tuesday night. I walked in here. I have had, oh boy, these, these last couple of months, I mean, the fellowship has been awesome. The peace is just maxed out for wherever I am right now. I, I'm sure there's more, but I'm, I've got peace. I'm not troubled about anything. I'm not frustrated about anything. I don't have anything bothering my spirit, nothing. I walked to this platform. I was absolutely at peace. And I opened my mouth, and it's... And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Where is this coming from? And it's kind of like the Lord said, you ever heard of Jesus? Hey, but I don't want to start like this. Well, you want to start, you want me to start. And people go, what's wrong with him? Hey, nothing. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm changing the subject, but not. These folks come up here last night. And the first group, group, they come up here. And they're just standing there. And all of a sudden. And it lifts and they walk back to their seat. Calm and set up. You go. Okay. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a carnally minded, you've never seen that or you don't know anything about all this, you go. What was that all about? And then the second group comes, and they get up here, and next thing you know, they're out on the ground. And then it's this, and they get up and walk back to their seat like, okay. And the carnal mind goes, I got to get out of here. These people are out of their minds. There was a young man sitting back over here. I had never seen him before. He was sitting back over here, and, and he was, you know, I, I don't know what faith he was, but it's not this. And so he, or, or if it is, he hadn't been in it long. And he's sitting here, and he got this smirk on his face, and I'm thinking, hang on, boy. It's okay. <laughs> and so he's just sitting there, and he's checking all this out. And so we're praying, and rest of refreshing tongues, and this smirk gets bigger, and we're praying, and whatever, whatever. And I said, okay, all right, it's coming, just hang on, we'll see how you do it here in a minute. That first group come up here, and when it, and when the Holy Ghost started on his own, I just checked his face, and the smirk was gone, and his eyes got big. He didn't get up, he didn't leave. Cause it was just washing all over the place. And, <laughs> and he's just kind of sitting there frozen and that group goes and another goes up. And, and I don't know what he left here thinking, but I'm going to tell you one thing. There was no smirk on his face when he left. It's not my word like it's a fire. That resistance you would feel out there. When I had shame, before my shame was ministered to, I had an edge. An edge of defensiveness. Because when you're wounded, you're going to protect yourself. When you've got unhealed wounds, you're going to protect yourself. So everything you say kind of just is intended subconsciously to put a little distance between you and people because you can't let anybody get too close because they're going to touch that wound. It's going to hurt. And so when you go to the pulpit and you're trying to minister like that and you're trying to hear the word of the Lord and, 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 and you're doing that, and sometimes it's okay, but every once in a while you're going along and, and when, I'm going to say this rhetorically, the curse of being spiritually sensitive is you not only can sense the good stuff, you can sense the bad stuff. And there was a point when I had all that shame, I couldn't just ignore that. I couldn't just say, oh, Lord, that's your problem. Go on. No, no. So the problem was, I'd feel that. And this old defensiveness that was wounded would rise up and say, you're going to attack me? I got the mic. 
You ain't going to do this to me. Right? No, it wasn't right. Wasn't right. But that old hurting self said, you shouldn't have done it. You didn't want that? You should have just sat there and kept your spirit under control and not talked back to me. Because now, the greatest change in my life in ministry is he took the edge out. You say, well, you still say strong stuff. No, I don't. No, I do not. No, I don't. I'm, I'm sitting on the platform in Arkansas getting ready for the men's conference. My, my session. Brother Tim Sullivan was up preaching and God was using it. It was powerful, man. I mean, it was powerful. Guys are responding. And it was a guy, I, I, I'm sitting there, minding my own business, just listening to him and flow, just flowing in the spirit and just, just trying to, to, to receive what he's saying at the same time and keeping my spirit in tune with what God's wanting me to say. And I kept feeling this thing, kept feeling it, kept feeling it. And I opened my eyes, started looking for it. And I looked and looked and looked and I found him. He was back in the back corner over there. He's sitting back by himself. He was pretty much the last person in his area. On a pew by himself. And I just sat there. I'd look at him occasionally, but I just had my spirit focused that direction. And the Lord began to talk to him. Talk to me. Well, he was trying to disrupt what was going on, but Brother Sullivan was under such a powerful anointing, and God was moving so powerfully he couldn't really affect that. But I'm about to get up and talk about people's wounds and hearts. And when I'm doing that, I'm going slow and deliberate and as quiet as I can unless the Lord directs otherwise. Because when you're dealing with people's wounds, Jesus is gentle and I try to be as gentle as possible, so whatever. And I knew he wasn't going to affect me, but he was going to affect the people hearing. And I said, Lord, you... <laughs> Because it came. I knew what I was supposed to do. Lord, you know, I don't do that. It came. So I put it out of my mind. So Brother Sullivan got done. We prayed and whatever. And they handed me the mic and said, Brother Reister. And I, when I stepped to the pulpit and picked up the mic, I just kind of looked down at the pulpit. I said, now, sir, I'm not looking at you, not because I'm afraid of you. I'm just trying to give you a little room here. And let me tell you about you. You've been in a church a long time. And you have been doing stuff secretly for so long. And you used to repent for it, but you don't repent anymore. And you have become impenitent to the place that now you still go to church and you try to pretend like you're okay. And you got some folks deceived but you use that deception as your cover to be able to go into services and you get a kick out of projecting your attitude and spirit and causing trouble in that service and i said now brother sullivan was very anointed and you couldn't affect him but what god's about to have me to do you're not going to affect me but you may affect these brethren and i said i'm going to tell you i'm giving you one warning this is it i know where you are i know who you are 
I know what you're doing. If I feel any of that while I'm preaching, I'm walking right back to you and putting my finger in your face and I'm telling everybody everything I know about you. And you're going to find out what a biblical bishop is. Friend, that brave little buddy, he started drawing stuff in, closing down doors, shutting down things. He, he, he shut the doors and barred them tight and sat there. I said, okay, I didn't want to do that. I said this to myself, okay, I didn't want to do that. So you're going to listen and not do anything? We're good. Because I can't help you. You're past help. But you're not walking in here and hurting this. Wasn't my idea. Not what I wanted to do. I found out later, because we got a few people here connected with Arkansas. Got a couple of guys here, got texts. There were guys in that audience rooting for him to continue. Because they wanted to see what was going to happen. Oh, God, help us. I am so thankful that I could stay on the subject that the Lord was trying to do, and he didn't provoke that. Because I would have had to have done it, because that's what God... That wasn't me. I didn't want to do that. I didn't didn't want to do that. So there's a difference between when I'm trying to be the hammer... When I'm trying to be the fire. And when as a conduit, God's being the hammer. And God's being the fire. Oh, well, you know, you know, the letter killeth. And the implication is, in fact, I've had some say this to me. Hardness. Strong words. That kills. Book chapter verse, please. Because when the book says, the letter killeth, the spirit giveth life. It's talking about words spoken out of the will of God without the Spirit saying them. It's not talking about phraseology. I mean, Jesus was always so kind right there in front of God. Everybody, forgive that little pun. He says to these great rulers of the people, you generation of snakes. He didn't think it. He didn't do it privately. He just looks at them right in front of all the people that are supposed to be upon him and said, You generation of snakes, you are whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. He's just, Jesus is so kind. And he's so kind that when he goes into the temple at this point, I don't know how many times he'd walked in there and seen that, but it was building. It's building. It's building. And then there was one time he walks in and he snaps. We would say he went berserk. Throwing over tables and scattering money and chasing animals out of the way. And that's not all he did. He looked down, saw some rope. Obviously rope that had been tying the animals he just chased off. Took that rope up, braided it into a whip. And the Savior of the world 
started swinging a rope whip at human beings. The disciples are shocked out of their mind. They've never quite seen behavior like this from the Savior. And they're wondering, what's going on here? And they're quickly trying to find some way to understand this. And this is the only thing they got. They remembered it was written. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And you go places, your spirit goes out. You're feeling stuff. And you go, oh God, no zeal's coming back at you. You can't find any zeal in the house. There's no zeal. Okay, you sent me here. Why? What am I supposed to be doing here? There's nothing in here that can connect with me. There's nothing in here that's going to understand a word I'm about to say. You sent me here what? To do what? Why? Call it hunger, call it zeal, call it whatever. But when you're hungry, when you're passionate, you're not overly concerned about the expectations of propriety. A hungry person will do things that a full person won't. If you're hungry enough, you don't worry about manners. Utensils. You don't need a napkin. You don't need hand sanitizers. You're hungry enough. Get out of the way or make room. It doesn't matter to me. But I'm hungry. Brother, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can be like that. Your choice. It's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Next verse. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Have I heard people preach and God spoke to me out of that? Yeah. Because if I'm sitting here, and I'm preaching, or somebody else is preaching, if they got a word from God, periodically, what they said or something that the Lord says to me as a result of what they're saying, I've got my phone or my iPad out, and I'm making notes on that. I'm making notes on it. I had a guy say to me, came and said, Brother Wright, I'm just a little bit bothered by how much you use your phone in church. You want to know how much Holy Ghost I got? I said, brother, I'm just taking notes. I don't surf in church. I don't. Just taking notes. That's not what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was jerk him up by the collar and say, 
the next service you're sitting by me and I'm going to show you everything I'm doing with the phone and maybe you'll sit back, get your mind on God and quit judging me and tr- because you think you know what I'm doing. I don't answer to you. But I didn't do that. I just said, brother, I'm just, I'm just taking notes. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, because, well, first of all, there's guys sitting behind me. If I'm checking the ball scores, they're going to see what's on the screen. If you don't think they look, if you don't think I know they look. I have texted a few times. Turn the sound up, turn the sound down. Check this, would you check that? Just communicate with what's going on. But, or, how about this one? Where are you? I can't find you. When you do that in the middle of church, the ripples. Right. Behold, I'm against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, He saith. <laughs> it's one thing to hear, it's another thing to sense. And I don't equate the two. And I never confuse saying what I mean to say. The Lord said, I feel. If he didn't say, I'm not going to say he said. It would be a lie. I feel. I'm sensing this here right now. It's a, it's, it's sensing. It's it's not word communication. And Hebrews five, twelve, please. <laughs> this is absolutely amazing. <laughs> Uh, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Uh, <laughs> oh, so we need somebody to come back and teach us the basics of the word, the basics of the doctrine. No, it didn't say the first principles of the word. It didn't say the first principles of the doctrine. It's the first principle, the first principles of how to be a conduit, how to be a flow. Because that's what an oracle is. An oracle is somebody that speaks what God has said to them. They don't originate the word. The words don't come out of their hearts or minds. An oracle is someone who is speaking in ministry what God is telling them to say. And he said, when for the time you ought to be teachers. Meaning, you ought to be able to let God flow through you to those who need it. To sinners, to new converts, or to whomever. Because he's not speaking here to preachers. He's speaking to every Holy Ghost filled 
child of God. Because all of us are ministers. And when for the time you ought to be teachers, I have need, you have need that I teach you again, which be the prince, the principles of how to hear and repeat. So that God can speak through you. But you, but no, no, you've neglected that. Now you become a such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Next verse. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word. Unskillful. Unskillful in the word. I haven't checked it. Somebody check it real quick. Is that Rhema there? I, if I went to the pulpit, I could check real quick. Is that Rhema or Locos? Somebody? Quickly. It's what? It's Logos. You've checked it. Okay. Unskillful in the word of righteousness. So what am I speaking in Rhema? What is Rhema speaking? Logos. Quickened Logos. It is the spirit that quickeneth. What is the spirit quickening? It's quickening Logos and making it Rhema. How many times does God just speak a scripture to us? He doesn't explain it. He just speaks that scripture to us. All of a sudden that scripture is quickened to us. It's Logos until the spirit quickens it. Now it becomes Rhema. It's the spirit that quickens the flesh profiteth nothing. Though Rhema that I speak unto you, they are words, they are spirit and they are life. Because Rhema is always submitted to Logos. Logos is the forever settled word. Rhema, which is what the spirit is saying to you, has to be checked against Logos because God is never in his spirit going to say something to you that contradicts Logos. God is everywhere present at the same time. At every time present at the same time. He cannot change by definition. Well, God is here tonight. Where else do you expect him to be? He fills all space. God's here tonight. He, can, he It's really physically impossible for God not to be here tonight. We may not be in tune with him. He may not be manifesting himself. But he can't not be here tonight. I don't feel God. Where is he? Oh, God, would you please show up? Why don't you show up? God hadn't gone anywhere. He hadn't gone anywhere. I may not be in tune with him right now, but he hasn't gone anywhere. Let me borrow your device there. I'll tell you, no, I'll just use mine. Whatever, I, I don't know. This little device right here is my receiver. And over here, underneath this keyboard, I can get all kind of stuff. Over here in this corner, that same signal is right over here. Right over here is behind all this. It's underneath here. I know this is simplistic. You see, wherever I am and I've got the receiver tuned in, that I can get the signals. God, the signals can't be one place and not be another in this context. So God can't be not be here. He's here. It just dep- depends on whether or not my, my receiver is turned on and tuned in. If I'm not hearing from God, my receiver is not turned on or tuned in. Maybe I'm watching something else. 
Maybe I got it on a different website. That's why I'm not getting what God's saying. I know the government's scanning all this. That's God's problem. I love wireless. Free. I like to be free. I like to be able to get what I want, where I want it, when I want it. Not everything's dead. And now you can get on you can be on an airplane at thirty five thousand feet. And somebody can still send you an email that you don't answer. Isn't that amazing? And I still get text messages that sometimes I don't respond to. Isn't that amazing? I can know all the people I'm offending. I don't have to wait till I get back on the ground or get connected by wire to figure out who I've offended today. Dear one, I was not talking about you. If you want to take that personal, you just go right ahead. I'm making a point here. If I have that, if I'm going to say that to you, I just, just you and I'd be talking and I'd make that point to you very clear. I'm talking as a general principle. So you do what you want to do with that, but you don't sit there and pout. That's between you and Jesus. That also proves what your problem really is. It's not between me and you, it's between you and him. Okay, that was the end of that private message. So, here we go. (laughs) For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a, a babe. Next verse. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's a difference between hearing God's voice and sensing what's going on. If I have to submit what the voice is saying to me to the Logos, I sure have to submit what the what I'm sensing to Logos or okay? That's why if I'm unskillful in the Logos, I have no way to judge what I'm sensing and what I'm hearing. And I, I really like this. And of course, in the Pentecost I was raised in, if you ever miss it, you are, they put a big X on you, they're ready to get the stake out and drive it in your heart. You are a false prophet. No. In the Old Testament, they judge the vessel. In the New Testament, we judge the word, not the person. Why? Because we're operating on a different level than they did. Because those that were prophets were few and far between, and they were a select group of people, and God had a very specific and different relationship with them that He communicated with them in such a way, if they missed it, It was because they chose to miss it. 
But not so with us. Because this says, even those who by reason of use or practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If you're not willing to miss it, you're never going to learn how to hit it. My dear one, one of my favorite things to do with her is to sing. It's the first thing we ever did together in ministry. And, uh, wow. And uh, I love to sing. I was engaged to this girl that I thought was the will of God. Only because I'd never asked him. Until he told me to three months before the wedding. And uh, that was awkward. But I had this list that God gave me when I got the Holy Ghost. I thought it was my imagination until I tried to violate the list and found that it didn't come from me. And part of that was she had to be able to sing, and I wanted to be able to sing with her. So I was engaged this girl. She had a good voice. But it was one of those really high feminine voices. And I had to kind of barely squeak to sing with her because I'd drown her out. She had a good voice. We just didn't blend. It was an ox and ass trying to plow together. That's a biblical phrase now, okay? You don't believe it's scriptural to repeat everything the Bible says. Because <laughs> the Lord spoke about the dumb ass that spoke to Balaam. But if I quoted that, you'd be highly offended. But it's biblical, right? So anyway, we, 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 it just didn't work. It didn't work. And so the Lord delivered me from all that. And, and she's a nice person and all that. That's not the point. She just wasn't the will of God for me. So. I'd been praying for the will of God, and I tried to help him out, and he thankfully he didn't let me blow that. So, we, we the first time I ever met her, we were in church, and and uh, uh, her mother was preaching a revival, and every night before her mother would preach, Alice would be asked to get up and testify and sing. Well, when she testified, it was like, I mean, you could feel it. it the house was vibrating, the powerful anointing. It's it's like that today. I mean, you know, she's so meek and quiet till you put a microphone in her hand and the Holy Ghost comes on her and I've already I've get I've already just stopped going, Who is this person? Because I don't know this person any other time. And it was powerful. And then she started singing, and my first thought was, I couldn't drown her out. I mean it was that <laughs> Vesta Mangan, Vesta Goodman. Oh, there she is. Hi. I didn't see you come in. I mean, it was belting it out there, man. Soul before it was popular to have soul. I mean, it was just powerful. So, oh, I, I just remembered the story I'm getting fixing to tell. And so... <laughs> I remember the first time we tried to sing together, I was preaching a revival for her dad. And uh, so we were going to sing together. Well, Miss Perfection, the first time we tried, 
And we didn't hit every note of harmony. This like she's ready to quit. Whew. That's old time Pentecost, isn't it? We can't do it perfect the first time. Let's don't do it. Obviously, we overcame that because that was before we got married. You honestly think that you're going to learn how to be sensitive to the Spirit and never miss it? Here's the deal. If I'm trying to hear from God, I'm praying, I'm I'm trying to let the Holy Ghost help me to submit to God, I'm trying to hear from Him. That is my heart's desire. I don't want to say what I want to say. I want him to say it. And, and I think I've, I think I've heard from him and I believe I have. And I get up and I begin to open my mouth. And in just a few moments, I'm going to go, Oh God, I have missed it. And I don't have a clue where to go from here. Well, if there is recognition, acknowledgement, and repentance, these verses don't apply to you. And you don't have to announce to people you missed it. Everybody knows it. The only ones that don't know it are backslidden or they don't care. They're not even paying attention anyway. But every child of God knows you missed it. We love you anyway. But you missed it. And you know why God lets that happen? Because the next time, you're going to start a little earlier feeling after what he's got to say. You're not going to wait till the last 30 minutes for church or the last hour for church or the night before. Your spirit's always going to be open and listening. You're going to listen all the time because he doesn't always choose to tell you on your schedule. And he teaches us obedience through suffering. And what is the suffering? Failure. Right there in front of God and everybody. And the man that's not willing to fail will never learn to flow. You can mark that down. The man that's not willing to fail will never learn to flow. Because it's trial and error. It's having my senses exercised by reason of use. To discern good and evil. I remember thinking, boy, it's so, it's sometimes it's so hard to hear what God said. I'll be glad when I get older and spiritual enough that there's never any doubt. If I thought he talked quiet 40 years ago, he barely whispers now. Because there will never be a day and never be a time that he'll make it so obvious That you don't have to get up with humility and say, Lord, I submit this to you. I believe this is you. But if this is not you, whatever you give me to say, that's what I'm going to say. Because I don't want to stand here and pretend I got something I don't have. I haven't always got great cooperation with this, but you know, you know what I've said? I've taught this to our guys here. Some listen, most don't. <laughs> you know how it is. The place to learn to flow 
It's not in front of a bunch of people in a pulpit where they need to hear from God. The place to learn to flow is in a living room or a kitchen table, sitting across that table with one person. And the Bible study chart is a prop. It's an excuse to be there. Because as you're sitting there, and you're trying to hear from God, and you're looking in the eyes, you get immediate feedback on whether or not what you're saying is Holy Ghost or not Holy Ghost. And you learn how to hear sitting right there. And you get, not only do you get instant feedback, but every once in a while you say those words that are a home run. Well, eyes water and tears start running down the face. And you remember that feeling, what it sounded like, what it felt like, and what it feels like to be the conduit and see God cause a response into them to that. And you, you, you practice and you do that and you practice and you do that until things begin to happen. And then when God begins to grow the crowd, you're not intimidated. How am I going to minister to all these people when I don't know what to say to them? Because I've been learning, I've been exercising my senses in a place where I can do the least amount of damage. Because normally that person sitting there has been kind enough to let me come. They don't realize that you're that part of the reason you're there is not to minister just to them, but to learn how to minister to them. And then to learn how to minister, period. And so you're letting this flow. And you're letting it flow. And and, and, and you, you go this direction. And the eyes glass over because it's not connected. And you back up and go, whoa, whoa, okay, that, that's not, that wasn't God. And so you, you're listening and, and the thought comes. It's just a thought. It's not, it's not, say this to them. If you hear that, don't do it because that's not God. God's voice is always the quieter one. Always. Brother McIntyre's 92. He was our founding superintendent. He's five months younger than my dad. He's a great man. He's still alive, and I'm so thankful for that. And I sat on the board for years and watched him lead. McIntyre, Irishman. Flash humanity, temper. But I watched it. And I learned from it. Something would come up that he didn't like. His first reaction was flesh. But then you could watch him just pause for a minute. And the next thing he did or said was always spirit. Because he recognized the strength of those initial feelings were never God. But that still small voice that he had learned to stop a moment and listen to was quieter. And it was usually God. I sat there. The first time I recognized it, I went, whoa. Whoa. And then I began to watch for it. And anything that would come up. I'd watch his face. And you'd always know immediately when something came up he wasn't happy about. And sometimes 
he, you wouldn't know it except on his face. Other times, he lets you know he wasn't happy about it. But he always would pause. After that first reaction, whether it was just visible or verbal, after that first reaction, he'd pause. And the next stuff out of his mouth would always be God. And it was different than the first reaction. And he learned that. And when you're learning to flow in the Holy Ghost, you're learning to hear the voice of God. These are things you've got to learn. You can learn this. Another part of learning to hear the voice of God is you have to let the Lord teach you how to quiet all the other voices. 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 There's primarily at least five other sources of voices that are not God. Your flesh has a voice. It almost has to do, always have to do with something that brings pleasure to it, or produces comfort to it, or takes pressure off of it, or expectations off of it. I'm hungry. If I'm going to follow the flesh, I'm laying my microphone down right now because I only had two little breakfast bars and they are gone. And I know what's waiting on me. So flesh says, forget this, let's go eat. Well, if I'm going to follow the voice of flesh, put the, see y'all at 1.30, I'm out of here. Because flesh has a voice. Call it whatever you want to, it's a voice. Your soul unsubmitted soul has a voice and it always has to do with will and control always what I want what I don't want how I want to do things how I don't want things done my way my way my way my way my me 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 my 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 always well, if I if that if my soul is not brought under submission to God, then I'm I'm contending with those voices, and I don't care how much under submission you are, that that old soul, and with it with its adversary, the enemy, it's, every once in a while he'll poke that soul, and out of it will come stuff that you got to bring back into submission. Me, what about me? What about me? What about me? This is about me. What about my place? What about my? What about me? What about me? What about me? And then there's the voice of your influencers. Family and friends. Jesus said, Thou art, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of... Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not given this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And just a few verses later, Peter opens his mouth and Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things that be a God. Wait, 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 wait. We're talking about the same fellow here? You just said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not given us unto thee. And now you're saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, speaking to this individual. You don't understand the things that be a God? I've got to discern the voice, whether it's the voice of God or the voice of friends and relatives. That's why the book says, My son, cease to hear the instructions that cause you to err. 
What instructions? The instructions of my friends and my family. Because friends and family always have a voice. My beloved, my number two goal in life is to make her happy as I possibly can. And I will never make up for all that times I made her unhappy. I I love her. I want to make her happy. And when God really wants to test me, he'll tell me something. And let her feel something completely different. My wife walks with God. She's one of the greatest Christians I know. She loves God. She senses God. And when I'm feeling something, and I really believe God spoke it to me, and I share it with her, and her reaction's completely the opposite of that, I didn't used to understand that. And I'd get offended. Well, you don't trust me as many, blah, 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 blah. Because it was about me then. But then I finally understood. If God really wants to test me, and voice with voices other than his, the one I'm most attuned to is hers. And when she says to me something different, he said, now I've got a choice to make. Who am I going to please? Because I can't please them both. And I had to learn how to obey God without being defiant with her. With, well, I'm the man here and I'm in charge. You're going to listen to me. Stupid. If your wife is not given an opportunity to share her feelings about what you're about to do before the decision's made and you take action, good luck. Because your relationship's never going to be anything but adversarial. And it's pretty tough when you're sleeping with your adversary. Because you made her your adversary. Because you treated her like a servant instead of an equal partner. But I'm the head. <laughs> That's of authority. She's not, you're not the boss and she's the servant. You're the president, she's the vice president. So you give her opportunity to have her say. If on those wonderful days that everybody agrees, that's great. But on those days where after you've given her a say and she knows you've honestly listened to her, you make the decision then. And you do it kindly, not defiantly, not in your face. And when it comes to pass like you said it would, you don't say, I told you so. She knows that herself. But God will use family and friends, people you care about, what they think about you. God will use them. They're not devils. Peter was no devil, but he was doing the work of the adversary, and God allowed him to do that. And you have to decide what that voice is, and you have to decide the source of that voice. There have been times my wife has been the confirmation I was looking for. Other times she was the test. And if you don't think that God's going to constantly test you, brethren, to see if you're going to please him or please your wife, because you don't want all the confusion, the hate, and discontent of going home if you don't give her her way, 
What does it say about if you don't rule well your own house, you're not qualified to rule the house of God? We'll be under the church where the wife runs the church from behind the scenes. And all he is is a figurehead to repeat what she's told him. We'll be under that church. The curse of God's on that church. But my wife's not just a wife. She's an ordained minister. And she's been an equal part of this ministry for a long time. Flesh. The will of the soul. Friends and family. The world. The world is not the same as the voice of the devil. They may say the same. They may be in allies at times. But they're not. The voice of the world affects fads, fashions, what's politically correct at this time. The world wants to put pressure on you to fit in with what it says is acceptable right now. If you think you can please God and the world simultaneously, it's not happening. And ministries that give in to that pressure and gives the world what they want so that they will come to church are damned to hell. And I said that with permission because what I really felt was much stronger than that. Honestly. Like reprobate. Blasphemous. How about that? And finally, the one we think is the only voice we're dealing with, the voice of the adversary. And the voice of the adversary, 90 plus percent of the time, he will try to masquerade himself as the voice of God to you. And if you don't learn how to discern these other voices and let the grace of God give you the ability to overcome the other voices, you will never develop the sensitivity with how to discern the voice of the adversary when he's trying to sound like God. And sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, the only way you will know that it's the devil and not God Put John, 1 John 4, 1 on the screen for me. The only way you'll know is it'll sound like God. And sometimes it'll feel like God. But when you compare it to what the Word of God says, it's a lie. Beloved, believe not every spirit. How do I believe a spirit? It's talking about what the spirit or spirits say to your spirit. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. So it's not just talking about spirits directly talking to you. It's false spirits speaking through others. So you try the spirits. You try the spirits. 
You know the problem with all this? When the flesh is listening to it, it sounds like the most, most egotistical, egocentric stuff you've ever heard in your life. Who does he think he is? But the problem is, when you are dead and your Christ, your life is hid with Christ and God, and by God's grace you are committed to do what you see him do and say what he gives you to say. What's coming out is not the man, the woman. It's God. And you don't give credit to the conduit. Like I said yesterday, when your house is on fire and the fireman put out the house, you don't run out, pick up the hose and embrace the hose and say, oh, thank you for putting out my fire. The hose is just an instrument, just a vessel to get the water from the source to the place of need. (laughs) To get the water of life with the words of life from the source to the need. And you don't glorify the the hose for being the conduit to get the words of life and the water of life from the source to the need. You glorify the source. And you give thanks for the result. But you don't embrace the hose and glorify. I'll tell you what, let's do. I'm going to take this hose. Go to the fire department. Can I buy this whole hose? I'm going to encase it in gold and hang it around my ceiling. Because this hose saved my life. You know why that's a problem? Because sometimes the hose that saves you today switches sources. And the same hose that was hooked up to Jesus yesterday and helped me, if my allegiance is to the hose and I don't recognize that that hose has changed sources and I'm just taking everything the hose puts out I can end up deceived and lost with the hose. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Brother Wright, what does this have to do with spiritual warfare? I'm going to tell you what it has to do with spiritual warfare. This is the most basic element of it. Because you need to learn and I need to learn how to be sensitive to God so that he can speak through us what needs to be spoken, so that he can pray through us what needs to be prayed, so we can exercise the authority through us that needs to be exercised. And we're just the conduit. We're just the hose. And we're not seeking his glory. We're seeking him to be glorified because he could find a conduit that would let him do and say without attempting to control what's being done or said, and it's not going to take the credit for the fact that it, that it flowed. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. I know what time it is. And we're going to start back at 1.30. But we're going to pray for here just a minute. You see, the wonderful thing about being a conduit is...
And you've just stood and flowed for two and a half hours. And you know where that came from. You can be in awe of what God did. Because you're not taking the glory. Because you know where it came from. You know what you thought you were going to do. And you know what he just did. And you go, wow, God, you are awesome. You are awesome, God, because you just talked to us and we needed to hear that. And even if I didn't understand that's what you were going to do, you did it. And I thank you for it, God, because you are awesome. That's not saying the conduit's awesome. It's saying the one that flowed is awesome. The one, the source that gave us life, life-giving words and life-giving spirit. He is awesome if we received it. Come on, just a little bit farther here, okay? Come on, come on, just a little bit farther. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Though he were a son, Not just a son, the son, the Logos made flesh, the Logos of the Father made flesh into the finite. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. If you're running from suffering, you're never going to be obedient. If you're avoiding dying, you're never going to be a conduit. If you're going to resist and resent the sufferings, you're never going to be Christ's conduit. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. (laughs) In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You need to obey the Lord and pray as long as you need to. I will ha- have this microphone in my hand no later than 1.30. God bless you.